Welcome to Stemming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha, a podcast for and about women of color in STEM. These women are brave, beautiful, and brilliant. Their stories deserve and need to be heard. Their voice strong, their message clear, their experiences priceless. Now let's welcome this wonderful winning woman of color to the show. at all <laughs> okay and, and i'll and i'll um and i'll do some editing um later because it'll give me it'll give me the video give me the audio okay you know i can do what i want okay i can do what i want okay you hopefully you my doorbell hopefully my doorbell don't ring <laughs> i'm expecting Listen. some things <laughs> I'm just, I'm doing the same thing. Like I'm closing down my email because that'll be loud. Like what is happening? Okay. Yeah, hold on. Hold on. Let me mute this one. All right. All right. All right. There we go. Oh, okay. So hi everybody. And welcome to Stimming and Stilettos with Dr. Tasha. And per our usual, I have a guest with me today. Um, she is fabulous and amazing, and you're going to enjoy her story. Um, and so she is a, a new friend, new colleague, new sister to me. Um, and I couldn't, I just, I'm glad that we had the opportunity to meet. Um, so our guest today is Mary Cheney, and she is going to tell us her story. So first I want to say, hi, Mary, how are you? Hi, Dr. Tasha. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I'm always good when I get to talk to, to my sister in arms here. So uh, I can't even wait for people to hear your story. I just, <laughs> I can't even wait. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. You just want me to dive in or what? what you? Well, so generally... Um, <laughs> So I have to, you know, you have little things you do on your show, but normally I just say, um, as generally we have our guests come on, um, and I, I implore them to tell us their STEM stories. So Mary, tell us your STEM story. Okay. All right. Well, thank you guys for having me. Thank you for listening. My name is Mary Cheney. I, um, I'll, I'll, I'll start by saying that I am a a nerd and an, and, 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 and a, you know, personally, I, I, I described myself back in one of my, um, one of my uh, careers uh, that I am a, a nerd in an athlete's body. So um, let, let's go back to way back when in high school, I am, I went to, you know, public high school in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I was into computers back then. So, you know, I was doing some computer programming, networking and things like that. And I went and talked to my high school counselor and was like, hey, you know, my senior year or junior year, you know, what, where should I go? What should I do? And he said, well, Mary, you know, you've been in this, you know, um, vocation, so to speak, for a couple of years now. You, you, we chose tracks in high school and he was like, you should think about information systems. So that's what I did. I you know, blessfully, my mother, um, she actually worked at Xavier University in Cincinnati, Ohio. And so I ultimately got my four year degree with a scholarship, uh, and got my degree in information systems and 
back in college, I was doing programming. I go all the way back doing some C++ and some <laughs> COBOL. Yeah. <laughs> Building databases and things like mm-hmm. that. And um, actually, the story goes when I was in, in a business law class, because at Xavier University, the information systems department was in the business college. And so uh, additionally, it's a Jesuit university. So we had theology and philosophy requirements as well. But I was in my uh, information systems degree when I took a business law course and I got the worst grade of my entire (laughs) college career on a paper in my business law class. And so true to the overachiever spirit, I said, oh, so this teacher is telling me I can't write. So therefore I must go to law school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that, that bad grade in business law class, I must go to law school. So, well, um, well, <laughs> yeah, that makes well, sense. Right. <laughs> you, I see how you went. I see, I see you. I see how you went there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, uh, after a couple of years, actually, I, I wanted to save up and go to law school. So I, I, between my undergraduate degree and going to law school, I was a teacher actually in public schools, uh, in same schools that I actually graduated from. I was teaching. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And teaching math and things like that, math courses. And so went to law school. I went to law school, went to Texas Southern University, Third Marshall School of Law down here in Houston, Texas. Um, and took it when I when I was in law school, the FBI came to my law school and they were recruiting. Oh, and wow. so you know, me not knowing, I knew I, I did a clerkship. I didn't know I didn't want to be a, a traditional law firm attorney, even though I was, you know, very, I graduated number two of my class. So I had options and, but I, I knew I didn't want to be in that law firm mentality. I know I just, my personality didn't fit. And so after graduating and passing the bar, I went into the FBI. So I was a special agent for the FBI out in Los Angeles. So if you're counting, that's from Cincinnati to Houston. I uh, had three years that I spent in in D.C., Maryland area, and then the FBI shipped me out to Los Angeles. So I was investigating Mm. cybercrime out in L.A., having a good old time out there. That was all before children, before all of this. So. You know, before life happens. Right, and so right. uh, investigating cybercrime, did denial of service attack cases, did did some auction fraud. Auction fraud was big back then. You know, d- figuring out how to how to find criminals in, cy- in cyberspace was a really fulfilling uh, opportunity for me. And then I had a collateral duty where I sat as the um, information security officer for the Los Angeles field office, which got me into some physical security. It got me into everything that I do today, which is what I call information security. And they call now cybersecurity. And we'll get into the the, the name change. So I have, I got so many questions. Okay. So I got questions. I mean, you know, I'm questions. not done yet. I'm not done yet. You know, well, I go know, ahead. I know, but I gotta, I gotta, so I gotta make sure that my, you know, my people are able to follow Cause you know, we still have some people who are just like, I don't know what that is. Like, I know it's important, but I don't mm-hmm. know what that is. Okay. So I need you to, to, to go back and tell, mm-hmm. tell us what at the time was information systems, that mm-hmm. one. And then as you moved into, you start talking, you know, you moved to the, uh, the FBI. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, two things at one, tell us about information systems, like what it is and what, what it was back then, 
um, I say back then, what it was then and what it is now. Um, Cause I'm like, wait a minute, you and I are, are around the same age and it's not a back then. It's like, we can't, we can't do that. <laughs> so, so then tell me exactly like, were you, when you went to law school was, were you studying something specific to like information systems, cyber crime, all that stuff then? Or did that happen when you went to the FBI? So those two things. Okay. So information systems back when I was in college included programming, included networking, uh, and included building databases. Um, but the jobs that were available to me out of college was to be a programmer. And I did not want to be similar to my story about not wanting to be in a, in a law firm. I did not want to right. be stuck behind a computer screen all day, every day. Uh, I was a little bit more social than that although introverted, but everything related to information system is the computer. A computer is, it's, it's systems that hold information, basically. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not, and how to actually, you know, break down a computer, build it up and have it store that information, installing programs, all of that other stuff. Um, and then when I went to law school, no, law school was a three-year degree. It was general. It was nothing, Um, available at the time, even though law schools are changing currently, uh, there was nothing really available from a privacy or cybersecurity perspective in regards to study. And Mm -hmm. so it was when I got to the FBI that they actually looked at my background, I think, uh, looked at my background to understand I had a computer background and put me into cybercrime to investigate cybercrime. And so... um, I think I answered the two questions. Uh, yeah, no, asked. those are, yeah, those are, those are good. So then, okay. So, so you're out in LA and I guess I'm, I'm more, I'm interested in, and then I'll, you know, then you can continue with the story, but like, what were cyber crimes that, you know, like back then, yeah. back in the day, back in the day, no, yeah. uh, cyber crime, like I said, it was denial of service attack cases. Those are types of cases where people were basically just think about, trying to take down a website, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, if if somebody likes it, for instance, in, in this day and age, you know, when, you know, I, that's a bad example. When you went, back then, when you would go to a banking website, there, there was ways that you can actually send so many requests to a website that it just freaked out and it crashed. Uh, and that's essentially what a denial of service attack a case is when you get infected with some type of malware. It still exists to the to uh, current uh, extent currently today. People are just better at defending it. But, mm-hmm. you know, basically just think about if when Michael Jackson passed away, for instance, and everybody went to Google to search if it was true and Google kind of hiccuped or they puked. That's because you're receiving so many requests that I can't respond as fast as many are requesting it. And that's a denial of service attack. And when it goes, when it just pukes and it stops working, that's when um, that's that's you know, a denial of service attack case. Um, Auction fraud, back then eBay was big, right? Mm -hmm. This was before, uh, this was right at the beginning of the dating, um, the the, the online dating aspects of things. But uh, auction fraud, people were buying things, commerce, e-commerce fraud, right? People were, and that still exists right now. They go out there and they think they're buying something and then they don't get it or they get something different, right? Or, you know, Mm -hmm. You, you bid on something and you send the money and then you're expecting to ship the product and you don't get the product. That was, that was a uh, cases, intellectual property rights, infringement cases, meaning 
counterfeit goods, right? Somebody mm. is is making fake goods or, you know, infringing on your patent or trademark to make, you know, counterfeit uh, goods. That was, that was good. Um, that was some of the things I got into. I really did a lot of everything except child porn, right? I did not get into the, you know, um, mm-hmm. trafficking aspects of things just in, I joke about it, but I'm dead serious when I say because I had a gun on me every single day. And I don't think as someone that loves children as much as I do coming face to face and putting handcuffs on someone that's actually taking advantage of children was would have been would have been healthy for them. (laughs) (laughs) I I bet. (laughs) Just you have to know your limitations. And that was one of my it was a blind spot for me. I just. No, I, I was not going to be able to deal with that. Um, and, I, you know, be a, you know, so I stayed away from those things, but anything and everything that really had. And again, back then it was, it was the beginning of the internet. It was the beginning of fraud, but just think about the, anything that goes on today and went, went on when it first started, people are doing regular crimes, but they're doing it on a computer, Online. right? They're stealing, mm. you know, ransomware is just that they're trying to steal something based on ransomware being a malware infection that locks up your, your, all your, let's say you have all your pictures on your computer, you get infected. They, they encrypt all of your pictures and then they tell you that if you want them back, you have to pay a certain amount of money to get it back. That's what right. ransomware is. And that's been that's happening. horrible. Yeah. It happened to me once when I was Uh-oh. on a business trip. What you do? What you click on? I don't even remember. All I know, <laughs> I don't even, I don't even remember. I think I actually put in a jump drive um, for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that's listeners, listener, it. listen to this. Listen to this. Don't <laughs> don't be taking strange jump drives, flash drives, and sticking them in your computer. That's not no. That's that's bad security practices right there. Just saying. I, and I all I know is by the time I got back to to the office, and I was like, "Yo, y'all, look at my computer," and they were they were like, "You didn't plug it into the network or anything," and I'm like what I don't even know what you're like you're speaking to me but I don't understand the words that you're saying right because I had never seen anything like that it was Mm -hmm. it was devastating because of course you know I lost everything right well that's because you didn't back up right I didn't I didn't user uh listeners listen to (laughs) what not to do (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I was not. I was not up on the game at that point. Uh, uh, no, no, no. So, um, okay. So, go back to so the yeah. So you're you're in. Yeah. So we're we're in cyber crimes in L.A. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I actually left service uh, because I wanted. I, I at that time life happens, right? And we can get into that. I had two children. I was going. Uh, through a divorce at the time. And uh, I wanted to get closer back to home, which was Cincinnati, Ohio. And I did everything I was supposed to do. I spent, you know, what, five or six years out in LA. And, you know, um, what ultimately the true story is Los Angeles, the head of the field office in Los Angeles said she can go. The head of the field office in Cincinnati says, we want her. She can come here to Cincinnati Washington, D.C. says, no, she can't be transferred. 
And so I said at that particular point, my emergency wasn't good enough for the FBI. So I left service. I mean, I, I, I would have ultimately probably retired with the FBI had I been mm-hmm. able to transfer to <clears throat> Cincinnati, but I, I don't look back on it. What happened was Cincinnati. I went, I, I left LA, got a divorce, went to Cincinnati and I started my own business. I started my, I became an entrepreneur and uh, became a consultant trying to teach organizations like Dr. Tasha how not to get (laughs) impacted by malware and stuff like that by not sticking strange thumb drives in your computer. You you ain't have to call me out. You ain't have to call me out. (laughs) So helping organizations uh, develop policy procedures and and things like that and and, and, educating their employees on on these things. And then as many entrepreneurs will experience who's out there, I was able to let it run for about four years before I completely ran out of money and had to go get a real job. So that that started my corporate career. Uh, at, at the time, and, and towards the end of my entrepreneur endeavors, I started teaching at the University of Cincinnati. I was teaching all kinds of cybersecurity-related, information security-related courses for them. And that's a job that I still have to this day. Um, and so I went that I started my corporate career and I started um, as a director. I started my corporate career as an executive. So I started as a, a director of incident response mm-hmm. for uh, GE Capital, transitioned into a, a larger role where I was the director of the security operations center um, for Johnson and Johnson. And th- in those two roles, there was specifically incident response and dealing with a lot of the things that I was dealing with in, in the FBI, which is, in you know, users putting thumb drives in places mm-hmm. and getting in. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. You got yep. it. You got it. You got mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. still educate, educating users and, you know, broader ranges of responsibilities and start in, in, in regards to just putting a, a system together to systematically protect an organization for some of these types of attacks. And I, I, that's when I found, you know, you have different types of people that go into information security slash cybersecurity. And I was a defender. I'm a cyber defender. I'm I'm trying to prevent the bad from happening as opposed to someone that's trying to hack into your network for, for good or whatever. I'm not an active person. I'm a defending. I want I want to stop it from happening to begin with. And so um I then transitioned out of Johnson and Johnson into a uh, um, a senior director role with um, Comcast, had a short stint there. And then I started looking at my corporate career. I, I, I had my goals and objectives to become a chief information security officer. I wanted to reach the pinnacle. And once the closer I got, the more I started looking at the individuals that were holding those roles and started to become a little bit. Um, disenchanted with the thought of being a chief information security officer for a fortune 500 company. There were, uh, I worked for several women and, and I actually, the one boss that I did have that to this day, I say was my best boss was a white male because mm-hmm. he challenged me to do a lot of things, um, in the field. And we'll get to that a little bit more about my volunteer work, but um, I just looked at the people, the, the, the women that were, leading these organizations in these roles. And I was just like, I can't be that, you know, I'm not, I'm going to be authentic and true to myself. And I'm not going to mold and shape myself to fit into this mold uh, just because I'm trying to reach a goal. So I was attached to the title 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and realized that I, I just, that that's not something that I wanted to do. So I let that go and left actually corporate America and came, moved back to Dallas where I, that, you know, remember that law degree that I got that I never did anything with because I was playing around in the FBI. Well, I started my own law practice. I, I came back to Dallas in 20, well, I came back to Texas and moved to Dallas in 2018 and opened my own cybersecurity and privacy law practice essentially doing some of the similar things that I did, you know, way back when my first um, stint as an entrepreneur and helping organizations, you know, develop policies and procedures, educate their employees, you know, deal with some of the laws and regulations that are out there trying to reach this standard of care, reasonableness of their cybersecurity efforts. And um, I, 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 I was able to let that run and 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 I got my CIPP, which is my certified information security privacy professionals certification. <clears throat> and then at the same time, I started a nonprofit. So I also own a nonprofit on top of everything else that I do. It's called Minorities in Cybersecurity, where mm-hmm. I, you know, try to create the next leaders in cybersecurity by providing them with. Um, the necessary training, tools and training that they need and leadership ability that they need to success to successfully navigate a career in this field. So, so, okay. So I, I got, again, I got, I got questions. Okay. Um, okay. So I, okay. I thought it was really interesting what you were saying about, well, there were a couple, it's all interesting to me, but mm-hmm. um, about being in a space where you were you said you were attached to the title, but then you had to let that go because you, you know, basically when you looked up and around, you realized that, yeah, this is, I'm not trying to bend and, and mold myself into someone that, I, you know, you weren't going to, you weren't going to be that person anyway. Um, Cause you know, you and I both know that you're, you can only hide yourself, but so long. <laughs> so yeah. well you can't so, really hide. I couldn't hide myself at all I was oftentimes the only one so <laughs> I mean right right so having that experience it was like listen it's this is me and this is me so um I think that's really interesting and I really wanted you to to sort of expound on that so that my listeners can hear can really hear that um mm-hmm. number one number two is I think it's really interesting about when you were talking about there being a standard of care in regard to like, you know, being cyber uh, safe, I guess. Um, and mm-hmm. I'd never heard that before. So I think that's interesting. And I, and I really want you to talk about that. And then we can talk about your um, nonprofit because I de- we definitely got to get that in. <laughs> okay. I think that was three. She, you're supposed yeah. to take it one at a time. Um, so your journey as a professional um, should coincide with who you are as an individual. And you can lose sight of yourself in pursuit of what you think you want. And, and so for me, my corporate journey was a was an enlightening one in that it taught me more about myself and what I am and am not willing to do to obtain some sort of status that I had attached to in my own brain. <clears throat> so when I started my corporate career, it was like, oh, I want to be a chief information security officer in five years because 
you know, just put it flat out, frankly, Dr. Tasha, there are plenty of people that serve as chief information security officers for Fortune 500 companies that do not have the same experiences or the same education as I. So in looking around, I said to myself, I said, well, you know, that's a that's a logical next step for me. That's a logical mm-hmm. goal for me. Um, and I am my first boss. No. And uh, James Beeson, I said his name uh, and I let him know. And one of the things he did for me, um, because he said to me, Mary, I know like three years into my career at um, GE Capital, he said to me, he says, Mary, you know, I know you want to be a chief information security officer. I know that's your goal. I know that you're capable and you're well prepared and you're ready. He said, but I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. So don't waste your time thinking that you're going to be, if you're going to do it, it's not going to be within the organization that you're in. And see, for me, that's clarity, you know, that, 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 that's, thank you. That, that created, that generated a lot of respect that I had for him. So it's like, okay, so if that's what I wanted to do, I've been here for three years, let me move on. Now I, in anticipation of moving on there, there are these challenges that happen, right? The individual that I went to work for, um, at Johnson and Johnson recruited me out of GE capital again at that particular time. And I don't want to, you know, I, I I'm telling you guys this story to understand you have challenges, right? So mm-hmm. my only requirement when I left GE capital is that I work for a chief information security officer, because that's what I wanted to be. That person promised me that I would be working for the the chief information security officer for Johnson and Johnson. The day I took that role, that person called me and said, you're not going to be working for me. You're going to be working for one of my directs now bait and switch. Now for me, this person was acted as my mentor for 18 months prior to trying to recruit me out of GE capital. And so this person used the information that I was giving and our mentor mentee sessions as a way to hook me, to get me to take this role. And now I'm moving because at GE capital, I work from home. I'm moving, I'm moving my family from Cincinnati, Ohio to a place that I don't want to be, which is Raritan, New Jersey, and and <laughs> I hate the Northeast, but I did it because she, she okay, she was my mentor, mm-hmm. and I only did it for her, and to uh, and we both know the speed of corporate. You, she knew long before I accepted that role that I was not going to be working for her, and the the most upstanding thing she could have done was come to me, bef- say, "Hold on, don't accept this role. There's been some changes. Are you okay with it?" Not right. wait until I agreed, put my name on the dotted line, signed moving my family to a place that I don't know anybody and taking away me from my parents and everything like that, that support system. Yes. I had career goals, but I just didn't think that was right. I did. I did. And and it left a real bad taste in my mouth. Um, And then the next opportunity wasn't too much better. So the, I just, I just became like, I can't believe this. So it was it was disappointing. It was heartbreaking. It took me a long time. 
um, to get through that. But you have to define for yourself what you're willing to be and become in order to reach some type of level. And it was at that particular point after seeing the, the two, what going from a good example to two consecutive bad examples of executive women, executives behaving badly. I just, it's like, you know, I can't do this anymore. I, I'm not trying, if this, what it means, if being a, you know, woman as a chief information security officer means I have to be this, mm-hmm. I have to bend and mold and shape my, personality to be this, whatever, paranoid, whatever you want to call it, then I'm not right. going to be that. So mm-hmm. I I wanted to be authentically myself if I was going to achieve that, that, that particular goal. And, and at that particular point in my career, I was just like, I'm done with that. So did I answer your question from that perspective? Ooh, you gave me more than, 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 <laughs> I mean, that was so good integrity matters. I mean, it just, it matters in all that we do. It, it, it just, and it goes to the, it goes to the core of who you are. And so your integrity can't be fluid. (laughs) I mean, it just can't, you got to plant your, as a a friend said to me the other day, she said, you gotta, you gotta put all 10 toes down. Yes. You, You know, Yes, 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 yes. So those challenges, those are things you're going to face and you have to make that that choice of that you're building resiliency throughout these challenges and you have to make the determination as an individual, whether you're willing to stay or you need to pivot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So and what was the second question? So so really wanted to talk about real real briefly, if you can talk about um, you mentioned standard of care. Oh, yes, for, yes, 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 yes. And I'm like, so I had never I've never heard anybody say it like that before. OK, so in, in the law, OK, you have this this standard called reasonableness. Right. And what what's happening right now, what's been happening and, you know, the the worst because I speak geek and because I speak legalese. It, it makes sense to me. But if you talk to an I.T. person about. Uh, reasonableness. They're like, just tell me what I need to do. And then mm-hmm. you talk to the attorneys about reasonableness and it's this, this vague kind of concept. So this is, this is for me, what reasonableness is when it comes to cybersecurity, you, when you have a breach, cause you will, you're going to be compared to other businesses like you. So for instance, CVS is going to be compared to Walgreens your mom and pop drugstore will not be compared to CVS. So you reasonableness is putting controls, security controls in place and privacy controls in place that gives you a certain level of comfort that you're doing everything you possibly can do without breaking your budget. Right. Because Mm -hmm. there is a financial component to how, how much money do I have to spend to secure against this particular risk? And if it's more than what I'm grossing in income, I don't have to do that. But you have to actually understand your cybersecurity risk to make the business decision that you will or will not secure against it. So if it costs me, I, I for instance, I give you the perfect example. Back when I was consulting the first time, I said, now, I was, I was dealing with the nonprofit. I was talking to them about protection of data. 
and they had HIPAA issues, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, meaning they had certain subsets of patient data, but it was mass data. It wasn't that something that was life and death data, and it was not something that could reach back to an individual person. So those standards, their requirements for HIPAA were not of a hospital organization that has an emergency room, right? Mm -hmm. Because this is not life or death. This is, you still have to protect the data. So I said, Wherever that data is, yes, it needs to be encrypted. It's not reasonable for you to spend $50,000 to protect this particular type of data because it's not healthcare data. It's not, you know, there there are certain things that you're receiving elements of that information, but not all of that information. So, yes, you need to encrypt it. You, you know, you don't have to you don't have to get the top of the line Cadillac version of it, but you need to do it at a certain level. I said, but so it may not be reasonable for you to spend the top of the line money to encrypt the data. And this was back then. Encryption is cheap, much cheaper now. But what you need to do, because they had a server room that, you know, where their racks are stored, where all the data is on their server in the front of the office, that server room did not have a lock on it. So anybody that I said, so, but it is reasonable for you to put a lock on that freaking door. Right. (laughs) understand it may not be reasonable for you to spend fifty thousand dollars to encrypt the data but you can't spend 50 to put a lot on the door on the door and so right so it it there's and so what companies do they don't have that analysis or they don't do the hard work they don't pay for somebody to do the hard work for them and they just a lot of times they're pressing their luck and so mm. doing doing nothing is never reasonable it's never reasonable. If you know that you have individual data of somebody else, it's never reasonable for you to do nothing. And so my business is, um, you know, um, my consulting firm and then, you know, the law practice were designed to help those small and mid-sized companies understand what they should, what's reasonable for them to do and what's not reasonable. So that shows a duty or a standard of care based on the data that they have. Oh my goodness. I can't even tell you how much I love that. I just I, I love that. I mean, um, I think we need it. I don't think people talk about it. I think sometimes, especially these days, it's assumed, um, or at least by other people who are maybe using or utilizing the the, the business's services um, or buying their products. It's assumed that the data is good and so that there's a reasonableness of care from that that business or organization and so I you think there's an expect it there's an expectation by the consumer that they're yes. doing it now whether or not they understand it and are doing it or something completely different which is why you know the in 2016 when the whole Facebook and um thing came out, people were completely shocked about the amount of information these companies are collecting about us as individuals and how much information that they have. And now they're using that information to now sell to other people to make us targets, right? And so I think that, you know, people don't understand, consumers or people are getting a lot more educated Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and they're starting to ask those questions now, especially 
with California and, and the privacy laws that they have. But I think the expectations by customers and consumers, as opposed to what corporations are actually doing, there can be sometimes a a miscommunication there. <laughs> I, I love that. A miscommunication. That's what we're going to call it. <laughs> a miscommunication. Okay. Okay. So, so I do want to, I do want to talk about you know, your nonprofit um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what you're doing now um, in regard to, the, to your nonprofit. Well, okay. So when when I started my corporate career, I was also, and James actually challenged me to be on the speaking circuit. He said, you know, there are not a lot of minority women, Black women that have reached the level that you've reached. It's part of your responsibility to now be out there and be seen so others can see you. Because, you know, if you see it, you can do it. A lot of times in STEM, you know, we oftentimes feel like we are the only ones and oftentimes we are and can be in these, these Mm -hmm. fields. So it becomes a requirement upon those pioneers to actually give back and be seen. So I was speaking a lot. I, you know, I still speak a lot. I have another speaking event this evening. Um, But I, when I would speak, I would see women of color in the audience, right? And so they would oftentimes come up to me and say, hi, you know, Mary, can you mentor me? I would get requests on LinkedIn. I would, And it was a time there that I wouldn't turn anybody down because I want to be of service. And then I reached a point back a couple years ago where I had about 35 or so uh, young, young women and one guy that I was actually mentoring. And the way I handled that was we would have these monthly calls. And so we would get on the phone and talk about everything under the sun. And, you know, many of the challenges they were having had absolutely nothing to do with their education. We are often the more highly educated, uh, men, uh, women and minorities are overcompensate because we know we have to be that way in order to have the opportunity. We can't just be a high school graduate and self-taught uh, and get some of those opportunities. So it was always what we talked, what we've been talking about: how to deal with the disappointment, how to build with unconscious bias. How mm-hmm. do I now? You know, I I got someone reached out to me today. How do I now motivate and and build talent? How do I support my, you know, employees leadership traits? Right. And a lot of times as minorities, I don't I don't know your background. I won't assume your background, but we don't necessarily get that training. We don't get we don't get the training of how to build ourselves or what we need to do outside of what is given to us to to be successful in corporate America or be successful as an entrepreneur or be successful in the government. We don't get that training. We're learning trial by fire. And Mm -hmm. so I always felt that, you know, whatever I've been going through, somebody else can learn from it. Uh, And so I started my nonprofit because I reached, you know, the 30 plus, but I said, we can't be the only ones out there that are having these challenges. So I started, Uh, minorities in cybersecurity in 2019. We launched in October 2019. We have a couple of great corporate members that, you know, are now 
you know, getting more engaged and getting more involved. We have, you know, some things coming up this year. We there's a HBCU uh flag capture the flag event that we're 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 um, partnering with SANS on. There's I'm doing a resume writing workshop in March. We're one of our partners, Bloomberg, is going to be doing a showcase literally recruitment showcase to tell you about Bloomberg and tell you the job opportunities that are available at Bloomberg in April. So we're picking up. Of course, 2020 was hard on everybody. So we didn't really do a lot last year, but you know, we're we're trying to definitely service our community in that way. Man. Okay, y'all. So if you are in, if this is you, if you're in the land of information system, cybersecurity, if you are in, you know, the law and you're interested in doing work like this, um, Minorities in Cybersecurity is out there. Um, Where can they, first off, where where can they find you? Mm -hmm. Um, All your social media handles, websites, all that stuff. And then um, same thing for your nonprofit. Okay, so for me, it's always my middle initial. So it's uh, Twitter is at Mary N for Nicole Chaney, C-H-A-N-E-Y. Um, LinkedIn is my name, Mary N Chaney. You know, um, my law practice um, website, www.mnchaneylaw.com. It's it's real simple to look if you're looking for me. Um, the cybersecurity law firm of Texas is out there. Um, minorities in cybersecurity on Twitter at Mike leadership. You can find us on LinkedIn. Um, you can find us on Twitter at, uh, I said at Mike leadership. Oh, the website is www.mincybs. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. www.mincybsc.org. Minorities Cybersecurity. So the first three letters of minoriescybersecurity.org. Um, just do a search. It's it's really easy. I'm I'm pretty good at at, at uh, socializing and getting that information out there and posting as much as I can. So if you connect with me, you'll probably be able to find minorities in cybersecurity as well. Man. Okay. So that was a lot. So it's going to be in the show notes, folks. (laughs) All that information will be in the show notes. So don't, I know if you, you know, if you're listening or if you, you know, when you do listen to this episode, you're going to be trying to write it down. Oh my gosh. She said, "Mm, don't worry about it. It'll be in the show notes. Um, Okay. So we always end the show um, asking this question and it is, if you could travel back through time, and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give her and why? You know what? I, I'm not one to look back and think that anything I've done has been wrong. And, or, so I would tell her to to smile more and enjoy it because my life has been a wonderful journey. I've always, you know, pursued my career with um, what I call a childlike wonderment and always ask myself, why, why not me? Right. Mm-hmm. When it, you know, first to go to, go to college and in, in my family, why not me? First to go to law school, professional degree, why not me? First to even think about being an FBI agent, why not me? You know, so everything that I've done in my career, I've learned something from, even when 
it's been painful. Actually, I've learned more during those about myself during those very painful moments um, than I ever have. And it builds that resiliency. So I would tell her, you, you, you know, enjoy it because this, this is a, this is a wonderful ride and I'm still having a a wonderful time. I still have a smile on my face every day and it, 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 it's, the, the journey is always great. So I wouldn't change anything. Awesome. I can't even tell you how much I love that. So my takeaway, well, there's a lot of takeaways, but from what you just said um, is why not me? Um, and I think that that is a great, great way to look at life, um, to look at situations. To That is a mindset change for a lot of people. Um, so thank you for putting for putting that out there in in the in the universe. <laughs> and oh, thank person. you, thank you for being a guest um, on the show today. I I know this this episode is going to really it's just going to change people's perception of because I think they have an idea of what they think cyber cybersecurity folks um, look like and are <laughs> and you have just flipped that so. Um, thank you for being. Yes, I am cute. Mm-hmm, I'm cute. Mm-hmm. She is cute. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I mean, so she's cute. She's African American. She's all of that. She's mega smart. She's geeky. She's nerdy. She's all of those things in one person. <laughs> it is indeed possible, people. That's right. Um, That's right. <laughs> so uh, again, thank you for just taking taking the time today to to speak with me. No, it's been my pleasure. And thank you. If any, if any of you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. And oh, the last thing that we're doing, Dr. Natasha and I, as well as two other folks, we uh, we have our video cast. So don't forget to, to hype out the video cast. We do a live stream every Saturday. Every Saturday. Um, every Saturday morning. It's all steamed up with mocha and foam. And, and we we take on a lot of different topics and we in it we have a lot of fun doing it. So it's something that's brand new. We we're at at this particular point, we just started in January 20. 21. So, hey, you know, join us and, and you know, enjoy more and enjoy uh, what we're doing. And get to and get to know us. I mean, the show, there's four diverse women um, with diverse backgrounds who have who found some commonalities and and are willing to talk about those things and our differences, too. So um, it's all steamed up with mocha and foam. Um, you can find it on Facebook Live and on YouTube. So. Um, please subscribe and like, and then make plans on Saturday mornings to comment. So do all of those things. Again, uh, Mary uh, Mary N. Cheney is found everywhere by almost <laughs> Mary N. Cheney. So you can't yes. go wrong. Just go to Google. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and so that, that concludes our episode um, for today. Um, I do want to, of course, remind you guys on where to find me, Dr. Tasha. You can find me from my website at www.drtasha.com. You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Tasha 11. You can find me on LinkedIn at Dr. Tasha. Um, You can find me on Facebook at Dr. Tasha 11. How dare someone have Dr. Tasha? I mean, like for real. That's Um, why you use your middle initial. You know, (laughs) Learned, I learned it. I learned it today, actually. Um, so 
So you guys, um, as always, it's really nice to be with you again. And until we meet again, keep yourselves safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stemming in Stilettos. Please check out the show notes to get additional information about today's guest or today's topic. You can find the podcast on every major podcast platform. You can find additional information about Dr. Tasha at www.drtasha.com. Thanks again, and don't forget to tune in every Tuesday for the latest episode of Stemming in Stilettos.